Hello, and welcome to Marking Out with my girlfriend. This is my girlfriend, Erin. This is my girlfriend, Kat. And we've been forgetting that it's at work for like an entire year now. year anniversary episode everyone i think we're only like two days off from our first recording yeah i think we recorded on the 28th last year yeah because february was a friday to friday month last year yeah no it was a friday to saturday month because it was a leap year okay so we still just did which means that leap day is a year old awesome (laughs) my first like decent game was released a year ago now, this isn't the one-year anniversary of doing a wrestling podcast, though. No, because we did briefly do that RJ City podcast. And by that, I mean <laughs> we did it for one episode, we didn't edit it, and we just uploaded it to my SoundCloud. It was put into an editor. We didn't edit it. It was bad. We didn't edit that thing at all. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing then. <laughs> Obviously, things have changed dramatically in the last year, as evidenced by the fact that I'm a good editor now. Yes, you are. One of my favorites. To be fair, I don't think you listen to other podcasts. I don't. I'm the Kenny Omega of podcasting. (laughs) I don't listen to any of them, but I do really good with with the ones I'm on. That's right. That's why you called yourself uh, a besto podcasto machine. (laughs) Yes, thank you for translating that for me, too. You're welcome. Anyway. What has been your favorite moment over the past year, Kat? Oh, God. Have I been scared by my doorbell on stream? Because that might be my favorite. I don't think so. Okay. Um, in terms of wrestling, I, Erica, we're talking about in terms of this podcast, not in terms of life in general. Yes, meeting Erica in the past year has been very good for both of us. Yes. Taco has definitely scared... I've, I've definitely jumped on the podcast before, but... Oh, yeah. I'm, anyway, what is my favorite wrestling moment? from the last year while you think of that yeah i can tell you that mine so far has been our wrestlemania show from last year because we couldn't get twitch to work so we had to record it without an audience which was too perfect <laughs> oh that was very that was a very good gimmick really looking back i should have added like some slight echo to that whole thing like we're in a big empty room warhorse face paint was a very good one yeah, Warhorse was very good, yeah. I regret having put acrylic paint on my face. It came off easy enough. <laughs> I also liked the uh, Statlander makeup. That was good. The Alley Cat makeup was good, too. Yeah? Yeah, I guess those are my favorite us moments. Favorite wrestling moment. I'm gonna say, I know it's fairly recent, and this might be recency bias, but my favorite wrestling moment in the last year that we've been doing this podcast is Jay White and Kota Ibushi, and their, maybe more specifically, Jay White's promo after that match. Oh, yeah. I can see that, definitely. Eddie Kingston coining the phrase world's champion. (laughs) That's also a good one. I still really enjoy the casino 
ladder match where they with Orange Cassidy yeah, <laughs> the, to, the yeah. accidental renaissance painting uh, although I guess it's more of like a baroque painting than a renaissance painting but whatever either or really you know what they say if it ain't baroque don't fix it now that I've made a Beauty and the Beast quote um, Eitzer has pointed out Big E's construction promo. Also very good. A incredible promo. I don't... You know, the first time Tony Khan showed up on Impact. <sighs> I thought it was hilarious. I think, like, Kenny winning the belt off of Mox is a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah. Although, I was very high for that match. And I struggled to pay attention. Okay, so it was the action. Yeah, no, I think definitely my favorite is seeing all of the Chikara kids make their return to wrestling. Okay, yeah. And, like, come back and start doing really cool stuff for themselves rather than for someone else. Mox getting okay. one over on Jericho is good. I just threw a pen. Yeah, the emergence of big gay wrestling last Pride Month all these wrestlers coming out mm -hmm. and tenfold increasing the size of these events. Yeah, no, so now Big Gay Brunch has to be, like, huge. Yeah. And also Tony yeah, Deppin will be there. In a speedo that's three sizes too small, but that's okay, because it's Tony Deppin. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, there's a lot of good that's happened in the last year of wrestling, a lot of not-great stuff that's happened. Yeah, a lot that we've had to... I'll come on here and complain about. <laughs> oh, oh, the Jericho MJF, the dinner debonair. God, no. Aaron, that was the best thing wrestling's done this year. I disagree, but okay. <laughs> Aaron, wrestling has always been musical theater. You just don't like to acknowledge it. I just don't want the musical part. So you don't mind the theater? Oh yeah, no, like, wrestling is can't be theater all over the place. So, what do we want to talk about this week? Well, I can think of a couple things that we were going to touch on last week. We had to push back. And those things have only gotten bigger since then, actually. Yeah, actually. Things like the AEW Women's World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Term oh my goodness. Tournament. <laughs> I got through most of that. So yeah, since last time we talked, I think the tournament has fully started. Mm-hmm. Or at least the Japanese half is. No. Either there, way, let's just start. There had the been one match in the tournament the last time we start the last time we Uh it... Thunder Rosa and Layla Hirsch. Yes. Yeah, that was on the Dynamite before we, we recorded last. Yes, it and, was. Yeah, so that was very good. We had most of the Japanese brackets since then. We've had a bunch of the American brackets since mm -hmm. then. So, oh, you want to start on the Japanese half and just go over what's happened? I would love to. Because there was a there lot. Was... Yeah, we started off with uh, Yuka Sakazaki and Mei Saruga. I love her theme music. I don't care what anyone says. Oh, I love it too. <laughs> it's so good. Now, this one and the one afterwards were actually kind of similar. 
because there were very like fast-paced technical matches going on, mm-hmm. really showing off the athleticism that all these women are bringing with them. Yeah, no, like there was a lot that like it's a shame that this was all on YouTube because it was some really high quality, like television quality wrestling from people yeah. who wouldn't otherwise get their names out there. Like if this if we weren't in the whole pandemic situation, this could have been like a pay-per-view tournament to mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. That's how good all this stuff was. But like, just like the amount of quality wrestling that you got in the like hour or however long it was that each, like that the first episode was. I mean, like all of those matches were really good. They told, they communicated their stories incredibly effectively. Yeah, like better than a lot of the bullshit that they put on on Dynamite does most of the time. Yeah, you got to see, like, you got to see Emi Sakura play the heel, which is a very odd turn for her. Yeah, from what we've seen before of her AEW time, I think she's, she does more heel stuff over in Japan. Okay, that yeah, I mean, like, being the boss in Japan, you know, if you're yeah. the boss of the promotion you kind of get to do more heel stuff yeah. you're the authority figure um yeah everyone lets you get beat up we got to see sekai ichikwai noah again sekai ichikwai noah in english who's the cutest in the world okay <laughs> thank you yeah we did get to see maki ito you're supposed to say Itochan, Aaron. I forgot. Listen, it's her one it's, chant. It's Obviously, like not a member of the Ito Respect Army. Yeah, I know. I was I was cheering against Mikey Ito. Oops. Well, this is an Ito Respect match- Army podcast. Because she had her match with Rio Mizunami. Mm hmm. Who I am all in for. What? You you mean the the big butch lady? Yeah. Listen, Ooh. don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I understand. It's the listeners. They're judging me. I can feel it. Aaron, like, most of the people in chat are in the Polycule server. <laughs> oh, so they already know. Gotcha. Uh, so... So, actually, Maki and Ryo's one I wanted to talk about for a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we had Yuka Sakazaki and Mesaruga and Benny and Emi Sakura having, like, very technical athletic matches. Mm-hmm. And then Maki and Ryo having this very characterful match. Mm-hmm. Like, almost staged like a Haas match. Yeah, no, it, it worked really, really, really well. Yeah, you, you got a lot of character and a lot of personality out of both of them mm-hmm. and how they played off each other with that. And I honestly think that might be my favorite one from that card that a couple weeks ago. It was good. It was very good. That whole card was really enjoyable to watch. Uh, I too pointed oh. out that uh, Mizunami-san is the butch 
the the butch Okada. Yep, that she is. <laughs> Just look her up, and yeah, that's exactly what you get. You get Okada looking. You get Okada, but butch. Yeah. And like, like I, I said, I'm on board. <laughs> I just, I enjoyed it. It was, there was nothing about that tournament. Those, like those four matches maybe felt like they deserved a little bit more respect from AEW. Yes, definitely. Um, Aaron, you shared a fun fact with me that, uh, that was filmed in the ice ribbon facility. Yes. Yeah. So like you have a whole overlay of, joshi wrestling going on here because you have wrestlers who primarily work in uh tokyo joshi pro you have a couple like in rio and may who do a lot of work in choco pro Uh and you have the ice ribbon arena so it it comes together in this really cool picture have we talked about choco pro on the show i think we mentioned it when we when you first showed it to me we like bear. It must have been the barest of mentions because we you hadn't watched any shows yet. Maybe no. I don't think I told you about Choco Pro until after the show. Because they do their show on Saturday mornings in Japan, which is Friday nights here. Yeah. So I would have seen it on Twitter during the show. Night. Choco Pro and the whole the entirety of Gato Move Wrestling is free to watch. There will never be a paywall for any of their content, but they do have a Patreon if you'd like to support them. Support us first. Please. I want to eventually quit my job. That would be great. I'm just going to throw that link into chat real quick. But yeah, that is the Gotta Move YouTube page. There's like five seasons of Choco Pro on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, warning, it does get loud. Yeah, so... um. I'm trying to. What was the descriptor that I used for Choco Pro? That it's like if you took. Oh, okay. It's it's like public access. No, it's UHF. It's the UHF version of wrestling, <laughs> right? For those of you old enough to remember UHF channels, does that make sense? <laughs> A little bit. I would describe it as like indoor backyard or at the very least if you remember weird weird al's movie where he has that uhf station and they get the janitor to do the weird show it's like oh god what was the what was the competition that they had to do i don't remember i don't remember i've seen that movie that movie was so funny i love that movie so oh, yeah, yeah, Choco Pro is that kind of like very DIY aesthetic, but it's Joshi. filmed in like an office. Yeah, it, it it looks because of the padding and the coloration and everything like that. It kind of looks like it's filmed in a kindergarten classroom. Yeah, they've got like the the really cheap shock foam mm-hmm. that you put around like a workbench, and they've got that on the walls. They've got a big brown mat in the center of it. Which is why it's called Choco Pro, because it's the chocolate bar mat. Hey. And um, if you want to do anything high-flying, you have to go into the window. Yeah, so they have slide windows that will slide open. You have to stand on the windowsill to do any high spots. 
which is very unconventional, but like I just love the the fact that these people are out there doing weird wrestling for the love of it. Yeah. On a brown like gymnastics mat in like a random building in Tokyo. Now you also have to remember in this small room there's about a dozen people in there for each match and they're all making a bunch of noise. <laughs> so no, turn it's the not a, down it's not first. a dozen people. It's like the wrestlers which can be up to 4. So you've got four wrestlers, a ref, a ref, a camera person, the person running the stream and probably two other people helping out in the background. So I think no, there's I, I think there's fewer than that. I think it's just I think it's just the person running the stream, which is usually Aki, I assume. Probably. Well, actually, I saw one two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago was their end of season. I think they're starting up again this weekend, where they had a tag match of Venny and Emi Sakura mm-hmm. taking on the best bros, who are Mesaruga and. I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name, but Aki. <laughs> it's like, I, I can see it in my mind. I am not going to be able to pronounce that right now today. <laughs> and at one point, Venny gets thrown out of the window. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And then Aki follows through. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of really, really, really fun stuff that they do that like you can't do with other wrestling arenas spaces you can make some very creative work out of that space and what they have set up absolutely and they do a oh, very good job of it scissors. don't forget the rock paper scissors tournament after the show oh yes they also yeah so they they start most of the shows with asking you to do some stretches along with them which is kind of fun it is you should do the stretches they're a lot of fun and then they end each they end each show with a rock paper scissors tournament. It's a very DIY aesthetic. It, it like it appeals to me as someone who's like want, would put on the lowest possible budget wrestling show just to put on a wrestling show. It feels very like homey in a way. Mm-hmm. This is also this so to be more specific. This is one of Emi Sakura's promotions. I think I, I know we've probably talked about it a little bit, but I want to talk about it just a tiny, tiny bit more. Uh, specifically to mention that, like, I feel like for whatever her gimmick might be, the Freddie Mercury thing doesn't make a ton of sense to me still. But, like, I appreciate Emi Sakura for the fact that she goes out of her way to make wrestling in Japan more inclusive. Mm hmm. Right, like it's not often that you see queer wrestlers in Japan, but like every every promotion that Emi Sakura has had her hands in starting has had like you know various kinds of queer people throughout, and like it's impressive that particularly with how conservative Japanese culture is right now, that she's going out of her way to do these things. It's it's. It's really like it. It makes you feel good to know that there's someone who cares out there. Yeah, she has worked her way up through 
like women's wrestling where we know what that's like in North America. So she worked her way up through that in Japan and like is so involved that if you get into it, you're going to be involved with her. Mm-hmm. So her influence is just everywhere through that. And like, which is good. No, it is. It's very good. Uh, and then like DDT obviously does you know, mixed gender stuff. Like, yeah. you know, so you get like a good mixed gender matches and stuff like that on Choco Pro as well. I mean, like, their number one tag team is a mixed-gender tag team. Yeah. But yeah, like, it it really means something to have that kind of, like, in-your-face sort of representation when Japan is a country where gay marriage still isn't legal. You know, the closest thing that yeah. they... Ha- the, the way they've been trying to change hearts and minds is by having, like, civil contract ceremonies... But those don't entitle you to any benefits. They're just to prove that you're committed to the other person. So you still don't get hospital visitation and everything like that. Yeah. Like, it's very difficult to be a queer person in Japan right now in particular. I need to stop playing with paper. It's very difficult to be a queer person in Japan right now. And having, like, a trans person featured so prominently in both an AEW... Two trans people featured very prominently in the AEW tournament. Two lesbians as well, if you want to count Mizunami-san and Nyla. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's a good representation of queer people. And, like, you know, maybe I do get it. Emi Sakura's mentor, or not mentor, her hero is Freddie Mercury. And what better way to honor Freddie Mercury's legacy than by helping other queer people? Yeah. So that's that's me circling around on Emi Sakura's gimmick there. <laughs> real time. In real time. So yeah, let's get back to the tournament, I guess. Yeah, no, sorry, I went on a tangent there. No, no, it's fine. I, I, I'm like, hmm, I gotta segue from this now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, coming out of the first round, we had Yuka Sakazaki, we had Emi Sakura, we had Ryo Mizunami, woo, and we had Aja Kong. Which, yeah, to be expected. (laughs) Yeah, 25-year veteran of Japanese wrestling. Like, she's scary. Like, (laughs) when Kobayashi went to shake her hand, she did nothing. (laughs) She's scary. And, like, Rin Katakura did a very good job wrestling against Aja Kong, too. Like, it worked really well. And I was very impressed with Katakura just from the fact that she was able to do so much against Aja Kong, of all people. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the Veni versus Emi Sakura match a little bit? Sure. And how, just what a great showing for Veni and Mm -hmm. how how just straight up athletic they can be. Yeah, no, like... Venny's athleticism is just genuinely very impressive. Mm-hmm. Being able to like roll out of so many of those moves and everything like that. Yeah, very counter heavy match that mm-hmm. one was. And Venny was very much played as the baby face for this for for the match itself. Yeah. Afterwards is a whole different deal. <laughs> oh no no no! Yeah, I mean like I get I get that I. Yeah. 
it, it made sense. No, but like, there's the fact that you know you got to see a trans wrestler be the face. Yeah. Now we we cheer on Nyla Rose, and she's a heel, but I like cheering her on because she's a heel. Yeah. No. Like <laughs> it, it. It's like it's like gay wrath. Mm-hmm. A good way to describe it. You know, and like seeing I keep saying like, but seeing Emmy Sakura like fuck. Seeing Emmy Sakura really dive deep and sink her teeth into like playing that heel character and just genuinely kind of being an asshole was enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Even more so in the follow up match in the quarterfinals too. Mm-hmm. Cause in the quarterfinals we had Yuka Sakazaki and Emi Sakura, where Emi came out with a whole entourage. Mm -hmm. And they did what an entourage does. Of course. <laughs> what else do entourages do in wrestling other than interfere in the match? Interfere and cheat and ultimately lose. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's not fun. Yeah. Because wrestling, was was at the end of the day, wrestling is a morality play. Mm -hmm. Cheaters That's never prosper. That's why WWE's bad at it, because Vince McMahon has no morals. Exactly. Boom. Yuka did end up winning in the quarterfinals, which then brings whole entourage in to beat her down. Which then brings out Shida, who was doing commentary for the Japanese production. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she cleared out the ring, and that's going to be a whole six-person match on Sunday on the Bleacher Report show. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I, I hope I can still watch it because I don't want to sign up for the Bleacher Report. <laughs> That's fair. Yes, Hikaru Shida in a white suit is... Okay, yeah. Yep, it was very good. And more important than that, I thought, was Ryo Mizunami and Aja Kong. Because mm -hmm. I was worried about this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's Aja Kong. She could run through whoever she wants. Mm -hmm. I, I want Rio to keep going, though. But they played it really well. It, it was, it was still a pretty long match where the, where they just brawled and kept each other going until the end when Aja Kong got counted out. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, no one's gonna assume you're gonna pin or submit Aja Kong. Count out, we can all believe, though. Count out's a clever way to go about it. Mm-hmm. then it's not done a lot. Yeah, and you're not, like, discounting Aja Kong being Aja Kong. Yeah. But I think that, that worked really well. I've enjoyed the Japanese commentary more than Excalibur doing commentary in, like, his bathroom. Because <laughs> his mic is really echoey. Yeah, it's it's not the best setup. <laughs> he doesn't have enough soft things around him. Get more soft things like these. Or gritty. Yeah, or gritty back there. <laughs> gritty is the perfect soundboard. I think it's definitely improved. No, no, absolutely. But yeah, just like the Japanese commentary has been really enjoyable to listen to, and I think it's worth like. Just hearing the excitement from 
that commentary team rather than just Excalibur on his own. Because Excalibur is great at the play-by-play, but he needs someone to play off of in order to be at yeah. his best. They brought in Taz this week for stuff, I believe, right? I don't know. I haven't had time to catch up. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they brought Taz in, and yes, it was definitely much better. Mm-hmm. Because they play off each other, and they actually kept on topic. Unlike on Dark. Yeah, no, on, well, they, they they take Dark a little less seriously, you know? Because it's usually two in the friggin' morning. Yeah, they're very loopy. I don't know. I just watched listening to the Japanese commentary. I didn't look for subtitles. Yeah. I'm got sure those, someone's added them by now. I've got those ultra weeb powers. No, you can't do community subtitles anymore. You can't? No, YouTube oh. took that away. <sighs> I know, right? The internet is shit. <laughs> community subtitles was like the best part of YouTube. Yeah. But yeah, no, Google it's wanted to force everyone tried. to... Right, Alphabet wanted to force everyone to use their fucking yeah proprietary auto-translate software that does a terrible job. Like how Tabletop slow. Sim was like, well, we ran everything through Google Translate, and if native speakers want to have us correct anything, they can let us know. Because as I learned this week, Google Translate doesn't take into account any contacts. <laughs> How'd you learn that one? By reading Ryo Mizunami's Twitter profile. Because <laughs> I read it's like, why is this translate as he? And then oh that's right. Okay, okay, okay. Let's 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 circle around to this here. Google Translate is very unreliable when it comes to Japanese. Because Japanese doesn't have third person pronouns, right? So when you like take a phrase, like the first phrase in Ryu Mizunami's Twitter profile is pro wrestler de Anaki Toyoba uh, Retemas. Those are words. Yeah, so um, specifically, Aniki is a term for older brother. So, given the specific connotation of a word that means older brother, Google Translate says, oh yeah, he. Which, you know, can lead to innocent little trans Aaron getting confused because, wait, does Ryu Mizunami use multiple pronouns? I'm so confused. So yeah, no, that's, that's basically the gist of it. So Google Translate doesn't take into account the fact that Aniki is used differently here. Yeah, because I've gotten to the point where I feel like I can trust Excalibur on pronouns. Mm-hmm. Considering he used they, them for Venny the whole match. Yeah, no. I, I, I've gotten to that point where, like, okay, I'm going to trust your word here and then get very confused by Google Translate. <laughs> that, that was a fun five minutes. So, yeah, no, Aniki is an honorable term for an older brother or superior. But, so here's where Google Translate also failed. When you are referring to a brother, or respected superior, you use that spelling of Aniki. When you go to Ryu Mizunami's profile, she uses that spelling of Aniki. At no time would I think that's the same word. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to non-phonetic alphabet. Okay, so Japanese is weird because it's a hybrid of phonetic alphabet and uh, pictographic alphabet. 
Okay. So, like, the kanji, the first one, is based on, like, those, like, you know, the Chinese characters. The language group, or the, the letter system below is the one that's used for, like, foreign words, loan words, or, like, non-standard words. So, like, when you have a word like pro-wrestler, it's literally... That literally just says pro-wrestler. Okay. Like, pro-re-sura. I see, okay. So that is a phonetic alphabet. So you've got to learn both for Japanese. Oh my goodness. You know, I can barely do English, so I think I'm good. I'll just let you figure this out. <laughs> but yeah, now, who do you think is going to win between Sakazaki-san and Mizunami-san? I have to go Mizunami. I've, I've had her back the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop now. That's fair. I think it's going to be Yuka Sakazaki. Okay. Because it's going to be easier to sell her to the American audience because people already love her. Yeah, I mean, she's very lovable. She's been on the show a bunch. Uh, producer I2 also going for Yuka Sakazaki. I just, Aaron, you don't need to read that out like that anymore. People can read chat on the video now. Yep, I forgot that part. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm still going for Rio through this whole thing. I'd like to see her even show up at the pay per view. Mm-hmm. What about the American side? Because a lot got done the past couple weeks on that. So I haven't actually been able to follow much of that. I know we lost Anna J to yeah. shoulder injury. Yeah, very unfortunately, Anna J had to pull out. Uh, we got Maddie Rinkowski in her place, but mm-hmm. I wasn't very impressed with the match they gave her to have. Yeah, it's like an, definitely an emergency fill-in kind of situation. You, It's like when Kenny had to wrestle Sonny Kiss instead of Janela. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, Maddie did pretty good. Um, I really would have liked to see Big Swole or Abaddon or one of the people who wasn't on the original list get put in. Big Swole has kind of disappeared ever since that match with Britt Baker. Yeah. She's still active on Twitter. I hadn't even seen her in the crowd, is the thing. I think she just might be injured and keeping it private. Uh, I don't know. I saw her yell at someone the other day for saying she was injured, so. I don't know, then. I don't, I don't know. I have no inside infor- information on this. I don't either, and I don't plan on bothering her about it. No. Because I respect people's privacy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say I would have liked to see her in it, but. And we had, yeah, we also had Ty Conte and Nyla Rose, who put on a very good match. Oh, my God. <laughs> very hard hitting, very fast, very technical. Like, all those things I love to see in a match got thrown together. Mm-hmm. And Nyla did end up coming out on that one. We had Riho and Serena Deeb in... Okay, I think we talked about this last time the perception a lot of people had with Rio last time she was in because a lot of 
her matches, like not the bigger ones, like with Sheeta or Nyla or anything, but like her weekly matches became very formulaic mm-hmm. of her just overcoming. And my battery just died in that. And this was not that at all. This was a very good reintroduction to Riho. Absolutely. Very, very counter heavy, this whole match. They just kind of rolled each other around for 15 minutes. It, it does help that, like, she has a relatively similar, similar build and size to Serena Deeb. So it's not like yep. she's completely outsized. Like, she's not three <laughs> feet shorter. <laughs> Even Chris Statlander is huge compared. Korea. Her is just huge, so... Well, I mean, she's normal size for her species. Oh, that's fair, yeah. I assume. I'm gonna guess so. So yeah, we've ended up with the quarterfinals and the American side of Thunder Rosa and Riho, which is yet to take place. I'm really looking forward to that. And Nyla Rose and Britt Baker, who had their match this past Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Where it really did look like Brit was gonna go over on this and just keep going right through. Mm-hmm. You know, between the interference and the cheating and pulling a turnbuckle off and really working on Nyla's arm through the whole match. It it really looked like she was leading up to actually going through on this one. Uh and she didn't. Hey, <laughs> our girl Nyla Rose won again with like it was almost a one-handed capture beast bomb, which is so cool looking. It was awesome. It was also the second one of the night, so it's just like oh, so cool. So we know Nyla has moved on to the semifinals now. Mm-hmm. We just need to get her opponent out of Thunder Rosa and Riho. I, I okay. I want to go first on this one. Okay. I think it's gonna be Riho. I think we're gonna have a rematch of Nyla versus Riho. Because remember, the rubber match. Yeah. Like Nyla took Riho's championship. Yeah. So I expect it to be Thunder Rosa. Oh, okay. I think she's on a on a big roll right now, and. I think Nyla and Thunder Rosa would be a great match. No, I agree. I guess it would be weird to have the, you know, like, if you think about it, right? If we make it to the semifinals and it's Nyla versus Riho, uh, Sakazaki versus Mizunami. Mm hmm. And then whoever wins each of those goes on to like four out of the five people at in that in the tournament at that stage are Japanese. Yeah, it, you could very easily end up with an old Joshi finals, which doesn't look like what they would want out of this tournament. But at the same time, logistically. Riho is able to get back to Japan. She is currently in Japan. The thing is, the winner has to be in America for the seventh. Unless they're doing a remote match. 
Mm, possibly. I think that would be cool to go like to another facility to, to see this match, like kind of hype it up that way. So like, I got, it, there's a couple of questions around international travel with this. Cause yeah, I'm sure they've worked all that out already though. Like it's the sort of thing that you, you Do talk to your government you about beforehand. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it's something that's going to work. Yeah, it's like they got, uh, they got Hikarashita into Japan. Mm-hmm. Well, so. that's likely because she's a citizen and allowed to return. The question yeah, is the- her leaving to go to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Meet in the middle of the match in so happens in Hawaii. God damn it, I too. <laughs> oh yeah, I almost forgot that from the Britt Baker Tyler Rose match when. Nyla had gotten Brit into a corner and went to the other side to get ready to run. I was like, what are you going to do? I'm going to break your leg again. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nyla Rose shit talk so much. Uh, she's so great. Um, so anyway, we've spent nearly an hour talking about women's wrestling, which we should. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been a great tournament so far. I can't wait to see how it finishes up. And that's what I'm going to leave it at for now. All right. So do we want to spend a little bit of time talking about our favorite IWTV streamed event over the last couple of weeks? Yes. Yes. A million times. Yes. On Valentine's Day, Camp Leapfrog did their event camp love frog which was a valentine's day themed camp league frog wrestling event complete with their own rewrite of love shack Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was so silly Mm -hmm. so camp leap frog or camp love frog was also masterful storytelling like i think it's the best storytelling camp leapfrog has done so far in like their in their event stories yeah it they really narrowed it down they really got to the heart of the matter and were able to tell that probably a little more effectively than previous shows it was very well formatted Mm -hmm. so basically it was i i want to say like it was like it was a lively show, like no match felt like it dragged. It was nope. lively. It was f- genuinely funny, and the action was like the action ranged from really good to holy shit incredible, and a little bit of silly in there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. A good show. So, still life is throwing a Valentine's Day party. And she's planned to have all sorts of matches set up to help people find true love. It's very cute. But they're also like randomly drawn Valentine's cards. Yes. Now, Effie is there and Effie offers to help. How thoughtful of him. But we come to find out, devious as those gays are, Effie has decided to sabotage Still Life's Valentine's Day party for eh, reasons. How devious of him! How devious those gays are! 
there's a whole undercurrent to each of these matches that is Effie slowly trying to sabotage Still Life's party, and then Boomer and Molly eventually over here because Effie was working with the Runway, his fellow gays, his fellow gays because how devious the gays are. This is where Erica would play the sound effect. Whoop! Leave the gays alone. Why do I have to remember the soundboard? <laughs> so the 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 show starts off with a speed dating five way scramble match, which is uh, Hot Dog Sarks, Stand Champion, CC Boost, Zero, and Twitch Desangrio. Yeah, uh, CC Boost. Some people might remember from the, the massive bulldog from off the balcony on Still Life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he did that, and he still got on her show. Mm-hmm. That's how good Still Life is. <laughs> exactly. And what a fun, fast way to start this whole thing off. Absolutely. Like it, it worked so well. And Zero... it was so good seeing her again. Yeah. Yes. And like Zero had some really good character drama. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh, it just worked so well. Yeah, it's like Zero is the one I've really been missing from the Chikara kids. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to get as much work as like Molly and Boomer. No, and like it. Probably with a shoot job and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, either shoot job or like, you know, Molly and Boomer also just kind of have a little bit more name recognition because. They go together, you know? Yeah. Like, having a tag partner is pretty indispensable for, you know... There's not a lot of, like, indie wrestlers who have consistent tag teams that haven't been pulled to some promotion or another over the course of the pandemic. And it's kind of funny, though, like, logistically speaking, how much rarer tag teams are. Because you figure if you have a tag team, yeah, you you get a little less cut per match because you got to split it. Mm-hmm. But you've got someone to travel with. You've got someone to at least talk to. Split expenses, stuff like that. Split, split expenses. You, like, you, you get... You have that guarantee where you don't have to go looking for a, a buddy to, to go with you or hope that someone that you know is on the same show. So yeah, it so tag team wrestling makes sense. Tag team wrestling is good. So anyway, <laughs> our second match of Camp Love Frog was very funny. Oh, you did forget something from speed dating. Oh, is afterwards Zero was a little bit hot with himself and not being able to live up to his own expectations, and unmasked himself. It turns Away out Zero camera. is blonde. Yeah, who would have guessed Zero was a blonde? Not I. So the next time we see Zero, he might not have a mask? We also got the second match, the Blind Date Blindfold match. <laughs> Reminiscent of Jake the Snake Roberts versus Rick Martell mm-hmm. in that glorious epic of what the fuckery. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I mean, it was very... Very good. So we got a little sketch to open this up, right? Like, mm-hmm. or was that 
the Kaya McKenna and Ryan Nova match. We got a sketch yeah. for each match, actually. Yeah, this one was the first time we get them pulling names uh-huh. and then pulling the, the rest of the side to get them into the match because they had to blindfold these ones. Mm-hmm. And Which then they, they... interesting because basic Becca's blindfold did not want to stay on. It did. It kept falling off, and that including the couple of times he actually just lifted it. <laughs> <laughs> it did not want to stay in play. You know, sometimes you just gotta live with it. Yeah, you, you take what you're given, you roll with it, you make a great match out of it. And they made a great match out of it. Plenty of sweet, a little bit of drama. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. But... They didn't have that love connection. Oh, they didn't? No, and it's because a certain someone has been interfering with the selection. <gasps> it's those devious gays, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Those devious gays. <laughs> so we now get our third match, which starts with a sketch of Kaya McKenna and Ryan Nova on a date, and Ryan Nova orders her water instead of letting her pick what she wants to drink he like goes like complete cheapskate and it's like oh and by the way we're going dutch right <laughs> like just a very bad first date oh man so they actually have a match to find out who pays <laughs> yes was it winner has to- they announced it as winner must pay yeah i think that's what they said i think they meant loser must pay mm-hmm. No, you know, it, it's not as bad as loser must win. <laughs> not as bad as loser must win. Was this the match that had magic in it? Yes, that's right. Kaya McKenna uses magical spells and goddess energy to defeat yep. Ryan Nova. And if you follow her Twitter, she actually gives out astrology advice. Hey, it's pretty good. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I'll always enjoy weird matches like that. Oh, yeah. Give me character and weirdness any day. But Kaya did end up winning this one, so she paid? I think it's implied that Ryan Nova had to pay but didn't have his wallet. I I honestly think they just both dined and dashed at that restaurant. I mean, they didn't actually get any food, though. Huh. So they really did nothing wrong in all of this. Yeah. So our next match was the Camper of the Year Fatal 4-Way Tag Match. Oh my gosh. Between Oreo Speedwagon, The Goons, The Big Bad Booty Daddies, and Crush Cakes. I'm a big fan of Crush Cakes as a name. It's a good one. I the team of Pancakes and Crush. Crusher. So. Yes. The goons were Eel O'Neill and Miles Millennium. With big dust on the outside. Mm-hmm. The Big Bad Booty Daddies, that was... Trajan Horn and... and... Ron Voyage. Yes. There we go, we got there. And we all know who Oreo Speedwagon is. If you don't, stop listening now and go watch some Oreo Speedwagon. <laughs> but it's Xavier Faraday and Josh Wafra. We love so much. and. 
who are heels. And Waverer was playing such a good heel. Oh my gosh. I loved that side of them. Like, Oreo Speedwagon typically is, you know, like, the baby faces. In um, the Halloween special, you know, they were the good guys in the trick-or-treat Smell My Feet match. They were wearing Sailor Moon uniforms, and it was cute and adorable. They were bouncing around and having so much fun. And then you get Wavera, who... You, there's there's the I'm having fun dressed as a sailor scout Wavera, and then there's a respect my pronouns or I'll break your fucking arm Wavera. Yeah, and they will. <laughs> I love that for them. They them as in they will fucking kill you. <laughs> they them as in they will break your arm if you don't get their pronouns correct. <laughs> like, I know Josh Wavera's pronouns. I'm a little bit scared still. <laughs> I'm a little bit turned on. That too, but okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, what? Oh, we don't do that anymore. No, the horny energy is only for unsound theories, right? Yep. We're completely innocent here. So yeah, throughout the match, you had Joshua Wavra being more and more tenacious and willing to get rougher. Aggressive and, and like... Yeah. Brutal. And Xavier Faraday, like, trying to calm them down a little bit. It's like, okay, it, it, it's just a match for a piece of paper. It's not that important. But it was to Wavera. And then at the end, it was to Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had this moment where he just, like, a light switch flipped. And just he was got it. in on it. Completely yeah. ready to be as brutal as need as as he needed to be to win that match, and it worked out for them. Oh. Now, and, okay, like, in a in a fatal four way tag match where like you know two legal men, regardless of who you tag, you can tag out to anyone kind of situation. I still don't get why you don't just like get in the ring with your partner and then take the pin. Do you win and lose? Does it cancel of the out? Outlaw rule. Because of the what? Because of the outlaw rule. Oh, here we go. This is where Aaron gets to explain something. So, way back in the Attitude Era, uh huh, there was actually a pretty strong tag division in WWE. Mm-hmm. And at the top of that was the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dog Jesse James. And so on a one Raw, there was a match for the tag team titles. It was a four-corner match. I can't remember all the teams that were involved. But at some point, they thought it was hilarious to tag both of the Outlaws in. Mm-hmm. So they both get in. They're in their corner away from everybody else. And the ref comes over to them like, okay, you actually have to start going. They fall down on each other. I believe it's Billy Gunn goes goes for the pin, and it's well they're down one two three. Billy Gunn wins, so the New Age Outlaws win. <laughs> <laughs> Since then, there is a rule out there called the the Outlaws rule, where you cannot pin or submit your own tag partner. Yeah, it was a uh, June eighth, nineteen ninety eight episode of Raw. Thank you. Back when Raw was still called Raw is War. Raw's War was the second hour. 
Monday Night Raw was the first, and then they would switch over to Raw's War for the second hour. Good to know. I won't ever <laughs> need to know that. No, you won't. It had a slightly different intro and everything, too. Okay, so it was um, the Legion of Doom 2000 and okay. Skull and 8-Ball from the Disciples of Apocalypse. Who totally weren't just a racist white gang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a whole storyline. And it was a triple threat tag match. Oh, it was a triple threat. Okay. I thought it was four. Yeah, there used to be a whole like tag team gang war going on. There was the white team and the African-American team and the Latino team. And guess who the good guys were? The white team. <laughs> yeah. Because it's Vince McMahon. Yeah. See, things I look back on now in my older age and go, wow, shit. But yeah, no, everyone always loves the Latino team because of Eddie. That's a very good point, Aitsu. So, do you guys want to talk about some other weird rules in wrestling? The power of attorney rule? Harlem Heat was the, like, biggest WCW tag team at the time in the late 90s. Okay, hello, sorry about that. Alright, we're talking about the Freebird rule, or sorry, not the Freebird rule, the power of attorney rule. The power of attorney rule, which is like the free rule? It's free like the Freebird rule, Okay, but only ever used once. I mean, that's fair. I heard WCW, so I assume it's bad. (laughs) No, so Booker T was the WCW World Television Champion. Okay, yeah. While Steve Ray was taking a few months off to rehab from an injury. Booker T gets injured, and rather than have Booker vacate the title, it was decided that Steve Ray, due to power of attorney, was allowed to wrestle in Booker's place. Yes, and if I remember correctly, his power of attorney was written on a cocktail napkin. Probably. It was WCW. (laughs) It was very dumb, but it led to a neat match between Booker T and Stevie Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, like, imagine if Becky Lynch, instead of vacating the title... Gave Asuka power of attorney over the title. Oh, goodness. That would be something. That that would be creative. I feel like the WWE has to be able to use that rule, right? I mean, they own all that history now. They own all the trademarks and whatnot. Exactly. Oh, my God. What about the three strikes and you're out rule? That one's one that goes back to the 1940s. Yeah. I've heard it brought up a couple times in different promotions. Yeah, so basically, you're. It's a little bit similar to, um, like how in Ring of Honor you're only allowed three rope breaks. For the for the pure matches. For the pure matches, it's similar in that if you violate the rules, you are given a strike. You're allowed to violate the rules two times before you get kicked out of the match. Yeah. I remember that coming up a lot in, like, really early 90s WWF. Mm -hmm. It seems like it would be a pretty good match to bring back, you know? Yeah, it's one of those things like a tag rope or staying in a fucking cage during a cage match. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, 
it's just such a weird it's weird that people are given such free reign to cheat and the only thing that's stopping you is a five count but you can keep cheating after that five count if you break a, if you break yeah if you break it four and a half you're fine it's like but maybe they should bring back the three strikes in your out match maybe i'd have that in a promotion That'd be yeah. one of the basic rules. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't even need to make it a basic rule, just on occasion. Like, when you have the... When you have the heel who likes to cheat mm-hmm. go up against another heel, you're like, I know you're gonna cheat, so we're gonna... My stipulation for this match is that it's a three strikes and you're out match. Yeah, or Daniel Bryan, who did do who was a babyface who used very heelish tactics. Because mm-hmm. he was an indie darling. <laughs> he could. <laughs> and he, Daniel Bryan also had, like... I mean, like, that... that I have till five and everything like yep. that is very inspired by... To, I, I would think inspired by William Regal and his whole deal. Like... Malicious compliance, all exactly. Yeah. Although, um, oh god, I, there's that one match that's on YouTube. It's the gimmick switch match between Regal and Goldust. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Just watch so that. Stupid. It's it's so stupid. It's such a short match. Most of the most of it is just like the promos leading up to the match. Yep. Goldust pulls a Regal and cheats. While Regal is doing the gold dust nipple rub. It's very funny. It it's great. Like William Regal in and of himself is just great to watch from whatever standpoint you want to take. Mm-hmm. Okay, so match number five on the card. Erica Lee with the boar versus Killian McMurphy with Big Dust. So Erica Lee is fed up with potential suitors and gets into a Fight with Killian McMurphy. Mm-hmm. You know, Killian McMurphy and Big Dust are both not exactly the cleanest of wrestlers. Let's just say nope. they tend to fight a little dirty, and Mama likes dirty. That's not true. <laughs> Actually, that's true. I I'm real tired, girl. Aaron, I don't think you understand. Ugh. I'm like that kind of tired where you feel where you feel a little drunk. I have not mm-hmm. consumed anything other than water. Oh, I know. I know what stage you're at. Okay. I just... you're at, you, you kind of drop the filter a bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we wrap this one up soon. <laughs> maybe. Um uh. so yeah, no, that I mean, like, Erica Lee is quickly becoming one of my favorite campers. Oh, yeah. She is very good. Very colorful, too. And, like, you know, the ultimate 90s girl and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It was good. I liked it. It was a good match. I think you like this next match a little bit more, though. Where it was... The best. The best. The best. The best. The best. 
the a best. very good professional wrestler taking on Abby Jane and Abs for the Camp Leapfrog Championship. Mm-hmm. Except they didn't. Because yeah, because the professional wrestler was talked out of it. By my favorite and yours, Sydney Bacabella. Former WWE Hall of Famer, Sydney Bacabella. Bacabella is back. I love it. It's such a. It's, it's so good, and I love him so much. That man is so intolerably asshole ish, and it's the yep. best. Uh, they did. When Sydney Bacabella came out, the crowd started chanting, The worst! The worst! The worst! The worst! The worst! It was so good. But yeah, he did talk all of them out to just not having the match. <laughs> so, th- while they didn't win the title, and they didn't get to have their match, they did win the love and adoration of the campers. Of course. How could you not love Abby Jane and Abs? Abby Jane is just so sweet, and she's mm-hmm. her her shirt is really cute. So, after all of this, we find out that Boomer and Molly had overheard the runway and Effie's devious gay plan, the gay agenda, if you will. The gay agenda is to ruin Valentine's Day. I believe it. <laughs> so. Boomer and Molly are like, hey, still life. Effie's trying to fuck you over here. And not in a good way. No. So, they, the three of them confront Effie and the runway. And then, like, alright, we need to have a match. So Boomer, Molly, the Pop Flyers, and the runway have a tag match. And this is a very good match. Yes. There like, was a lot of back and forth through the whole thing. It was very fun to watch. You got to see a pair of tag teams that were well-suited to work with one another. Yep. You got a lot of, like... So, one of the things that they talk about as intangibles in hockey is when a player has grit. That's where Gritty's name comes from, right? Like, when you have... It's that intangible, it's not a thing that shows up on the stat sheet, but it's, you know, how willing you are to go in and dig down and, like, scramble at the puck and throw your body into the corner, take a hit, because you know when you go into the corner, you're probably going to take a hit, but throw your body into the corner chasing after a puck. It's that digging at the, poking your stick at the guy who's got the puck. It's all those little things that you do to, like, gum up the works and grit up the game and... That kind of grit is one of those things that is really important for certain hockey. Like, there's there's skill players and there's grit players, right? Like, your skill player is going to be your typical, like, classic sniper. Grit players tend to be down, dirty, digging in, deflecting pucks in front of the net. Make sense? Yep. So, in essence, when Molly describes themselves as the grittiest girl in wrestling... That's what they're alluding to, is that, like, uh, both the fact that, you know, Flyers fan and Gosh, that, like, a Flyers fan. But she, Aaron, do I need to show you the pictures that I have of her with gritty head on? I know, I know. <laughs> so 
it's that like Molly showed a lot of like grit and heart, those like mm-hmm. real hockey intangibles in this match. Cause like there were a couple of times where she was stuck on her own and had to like really like just tough it out through a really kind of endless assault. Situation. Yeah. And like it it was one of those like it it's it's maybe the best way to describe grit in terms of wrestling is fighting spirit. Okay, yeah. They're very similar, right? Like, so Molly had a lot of fighting spirit in this. It was something that I admired a lot from her. It was a really good display of what it means to her to be the grittiest girl in wrestling. Yeah, definitely. So the Pop Flyers win with one comeuppance achieved. We're ready for the final match of the night. Effie versus Still Life in a Valentine's Day death match. And they kind of took that a little bit literally. They they were they went up there and I thought they almost died a couple times. Yeah, it was if you watch no other match from indie wrestling in the next year, make it this match. Yeah. It was genuinely one of the most impressive looking heartfelt like moving and like violent matches that i've seen and like you don't expect still life to come out there and like pull off these like really expressively violent moves yeah, like you expect yeah. like the yeah the the cheap canvas from michael's bit which she brought out which she brought out and everyone was like you're gonna have to do better than that bitch (laughs) and even then usually we see still life in very technical matches Mm -hmm. very very hook and hold focused so switch over to elbows to the outside through a table right like it's a lot it's a it was such a like, like you said, it's normally much more technical when you watch Still Life. This was mm-hmm. a very, like, you know, with with Chikara shutting down and everything like that, you haven't gotten to see a lot of these, a lot of the younger wrestlers from Chikara get put through their paces. Yeah. And she got put through her paces, and she just crushed it. Like... My opinion of still life and my like estimates of her stock has always been sky high. Yeah. But this just proved that like she's legitimately a talent to be reckoned with in the indie scene right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if like in a year or two she got snatched up by a bigger promotion. I would still like her to see I I would still like her to see her working these indie shows for like Camp Lee Prog or the tournament stuff. But yeah, no, she's going to get grabbed up real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, unless she just doesn't want to do that. And like, I can almost guarantee that's, you know, like someone like Warhorse, it would be, it'd be insane if he hasn't gotten offers. Yeah. And it's a cult everyone has to make for themselves. Mm-hmm. 
And like, you know, you just like I respect Priscilla Kelly for taking the money and going to WWE, I will respect mm-hmm. whatever decision any any wrestler takes, you know? Yeah, like I've heard it from a couple wrestlers in different interviews where they talk about where like they would make technically more as indie wrestlers. Because if you become a bigger name, you get flown out, your combinations are paid for, et cetera, et cetera, on top of your pay. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to like a bigger promotion and get signed a contract, they get less of a pay, but they don't have to work eight days a week. <laughs> so... Right. You're trading off the amount of work you're doing for the, you know, you might be making more money, but you're making more money by burning yourself out. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you're talking like like MV tweeted about how he kind of misses doing eight shows in a weekend. Yeah, yeah, you don't have a match, then you then sell your own merch afterwards either. <laughs> no, it was just, like speaking of merch, I did buy two art prints from Still Life. Yes, I can't wait to get those in. I know I'm gonna frame them and get them hung up. I'm also like. When we're a little bit further along, I'm going to see what her rates are for doing graphic design, because I really think that she would make a phenomenal cover for the book for um, the game Erica and I were working on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Still Life grew multiple tables, multiple steel chairs. Sorry, tables. I said tables, I meant doors. Oh, yeah, they use doors on these shows, I forgot. (laughs) But, like, it was just, it was a masterpiece of savagery and brutality. The likes of which only a living artwork could put on. (laughs) Yep. No, it it was, it was a very brutal match. There was a couple points where I had trouble watching, because I'm a big wimp like that. And I was, like, glued to this match. It was so good. I don't know, like, how to emphasize it anymore. It has to be seen. It has to be seen. Yeah. It, like any work of art, it has to be experienced in its medium. <laughs> Thank you, art snob, Aaron. <laughs> Let's never do that again. Oh, but I love art museums so much. Why? Not a snob. I mean, like, I, I'm also not an art snob. I'm an art appreciator. Okay, fair enough. I had to grow out of enjoying the concept of being a snob. Just to say I transitioned and started liking things with my whole heart instead of with my how will this make me look. Yeah, I was just an asshole. Oh, by the way... Choco Pro is currently going on right now. <gasps> so anyway, do we want to talk about something else? Uh, there was one other thing. I think we're going to talk about the uh, Dark Order, Matt Hardy, Hangman Page situation briefly. Because a lot has happened. Okay, you're. I, I will let you know that I am starting to fade. <laughs> okay, I'll get through it real quick. So... We, we had this whole situation where the Dark Horse was trying to recruit Hangman. He said no. They're all heartbroken and upset. 
And then Matt Hardy comes in and tries to pick up his friendship and have him sign over like half of his paycheck in a drunken stupor. Mm -hmm. So Matt Hardy tries to get Hangman to unlawfully sign a contract. Mm hmm. On camera. <laughs> because that contract is non binding because one party could not consent to it. Yep. But we found out Hankman was kind of more there than any of us thought. No, he was playing it up for sure. Threw away the contract and brought out his own. <laughs> right. And we find this out after, like, after Matt has, like, Matt does this reveal to Hangman after a match and says, Yeah, that contract you signed entitles me to that, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, Hangman's like, Uh, see, I have some friends who told me to always keep an extra set of papers around. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Hangman, I love you. And it turned out he had him sign. A match contract for Revolution mm -hmm. with a quarter's pay, like a quarter of the year's pay on the line. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because Matt Hardy immediately gets him jumped by TH2 and Isaiah Cassidy, and the Dark Order runs out to save him. And they fight them all off, and they're in the oh, ring. Negative one is there. Negative one like runs out first, and he's like, "Go, go, 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 go!" Yeah, go. he's directing traffic. And it's just, oh my god, I loved it so much. And then on this week's, I do want to add one more thing from that, which is, um, in BTE, Five had made Hangman a really heartfelt Valentine's Day card. Yeah. And, like, tried to give it to Hangman personally. Matt Hardy ripped it up. So you have this moment where Five confronts Matt Hardy in the ring and just starts wailing on him. Like, how dare you do this to my friend? I'm gonna beat the <laughs> shit out of you now. And it was just like, I... It was nice because the very next BTE, they started being nice to Five. Yeah. Yeah, that on this week's because he he, did, he also did all like all the email stuff. I'm in the dark order, by the way. I got my <laughs> confirmation. Yes, Aaron, what number did you pick? Eighty-eight. Yes. Okay, don't keep your head down around uh, silver. Okay, I won't. But to get back to this real quick, um, yeah. So on this week's show there was hangman page versus isaiah Cassidy in what nobody thought was going to be a blow away match mm -hmm. because we've we've seen um mark quinn in singles action in the tnt title matches but mm -hmm. we haven't seen much from isaiah Cassidy, and he's just as good <laughs> mm -hmm. like really should assume they're in the tag team together they they're amazing together they're amazing apart as well. But there was part of this because TH2 is out there as like collateral or damage protection. 
So halfway through the match, Silver and Reynolds come down and start cheering on Paige. Not cheating, not getting involved. They're being baby faces about it and just cheering him on. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that was just amazing to me. I love. There was... I I just I love getting to see the Dark Order be happy. You know. Yeah. Because <laughs> they also had that bit on BT this week where Hangman came into their whole thing when they were chanting Hangman fucks. Mm-hmm. Watch the show for context, and. Uno's out there, like Uno's speaking, and he's like, "Okay, normally this is what I would ask you to join the Dark Order, but I'm not gonna do that this time. We honestly just want to be your friends, <laughs> and it's so heartwarming, and, and I cried." Yeah, Hagman's like, "Yeah, I can do that." Yeah, and they exchanged numbers. They had to, they took him in to figure out phone numbers, <laughs> not Dark five five Order. five. Five five five, five 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 five. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Five. <laughs> Ten's phone number is just how to spell cocaine, cocaine on your phone. <laughs> so yeah, it, it'll be interesting seeing this going into Revolution. Mm-hmm. Whether this begins the climb for Hangman back into that main event picture. Or if this is like that final stumbling block where he loses the match and has no pay for the next several months. And so has to rely even more on this found family of his. It'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I want Big Money Matt to get comeuppance because he's kind of being an asshole. Very much, like, on several different angles, I'd like to see something for that. Mm-hmm. But, regardless, I'm excited for Revolution. I decided They've... a while ago I can't predict AEW storylines, so I'm not going to. I'm just going to enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's fair. All right, gang. I'm falling asleep at the wheel here. Time to get out of here? Time to get out of here. How do I end the show now? I don't remember how we end the show now. I think I usually just like. Jerk them around about doing the thing, huh? Maybe I can pull up the old. um, No, 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 they're not worth it. It's all right. They're not worth it. It's got 170 views on it on YouTube, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So if you're watching on YouTube, thanks. Yeah, no, but I don't think they've earned the ending. Uh, that's fair, I guess. So I guess we will bid you adieu. Goodbye. Marking Out With My Girlfriend is a production of Sosa's Media. Check us out at S-O-S-E-S dot C-A. Music has been provided by Sounds Like an Earful. I'm not high. That's the thing.
I, yeah, no, I trust her not to be high for the show. No, like, I, I wouldn't be able to do a show if I was high. I just have... I wouldn't you be able do to do a, a good show. show. Not this show. No, okay, fair. I could probably do an episode of Unsound Theories while high. Maybe. 